Good to see you here tonight. We are moving forward in our study of the book of Jude. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles there to Jude. And we will begin in verse 16. Awesome. Everyone there? Good. Lord, I pray your blessing tonight upon your word. We thank you for it. I pray that you would instruct us, give us wisdom, discernment, protect us, protect the church, Lord. Protect our families and our marriages, this community of faith. Give us insight into the wiles of the devil that we might be prepared. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So you remember that the book of Jude is a call to action to all Christians, all the Christians that were living back when Jude wrote this letter and all the Christians today. The call to action is that we are to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That means struggle for the Christian faith, the gospel. And why? Because the faith is under attack. There are wolves, there are false teachers, there are false prophets since Jude wrote this letter all the way to today who go out and seek to rip people off and deceive people. And Jude has given us a whole bunch of characteristics about these guys as we've gone through it. I'll sum it up. These are men that creep in, meaning they sneak into churches unaware. They're very stealthy. They live ungodly lifestyles and teach others to do the same. They reject authority, all authority. They reject the Lord God, the Lord Jesus. They reject Christian leadership, true Christian leadership. They reject the authority of angels, as we've talked about. They are dreamers. They are marked for condemnation. And they have gone the way of Cain and Balaam and Korah, all those things that we studied. Jude has also mentioned the great harm that these guys will do. They will ruin Christian fellowship. They will disappoint with empty promises. They will create fruitless lives. They will create superficial, shameful lives. They generate confusion. They promote ungodliness. And they're headed for judgment and they're deceiving people on that same road to judgment. So Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith. Now, tonight, what I want us to look at is a strategy that they use. I want us to look at their modus operandi. They have a strategy that they use to come in and destroy churches. And it's well known and it's common, so you need to be looking for it. 
See if you can notice it as we read our text. Look at verse 16. Speaking of these false teachers, it says they are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. Now, please understand, I'm not sure I've emphasized this enough in our study of this letter. Jude is talking about wolves. He's talking about unregenerate, unbelieving agents of the devil. He's not talking about um, misguided church leaders or immature church leaders, maybe guys who haven't really been a part of ministry or still have a lot to he's not talking about that he is talking about unregenerate men who are in league with satan to destroy the church and we see that so clearly in this passage in verse 16 jude says these are guys that walk according to their own lusts he repeats it again in verse 18 They walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Now, to walk in the Bible is figurative. It means of the way a person consistently lives their life, their day-to-day lifestyle. And so these false teachers consistently live according to their lusts, their sinful passions. They're controlled only by their sinful nature. In verse 19, they're called sensual persons. Now, in this context, this has nothing to do with sexual attractiveness. This is describing a person who lives only by and for what he can get through his physical senses, and he lives that way selfishly. The language here is that you got guys that are living according to their base animalistic tendencies, completely under the control of their sinful nature. And the true tell sign at the end of verse 19 is that these guys do not have the Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. So they're not born again. When you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. These guys do not have the Holy Spirit. They're not living according to the Spirit. They're totally living according to the flesh. So I need to emphasize that there are false teachers out there that are not born again. They are not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're base. And they're in league with Satan to go and deceive churches and Christians. They are out there. They have always been out there. These aren't harmless little people who don't know a lot. These are are serious. And they want to destroy the church. And I want you to notice one of their main objectives. Verse 19. 
These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. That's what false teachers do. That is their objective in many ways. Now, the language is very detailed, very clear. Those wolves actively seek to infiltrate churches to cause division, to tear churches apart, to go into a healthy local church and create camps, division, in order to build their own camp and draw people away. That is a very common strategy of the false teacher. So tonight, I want to remind you how important unity is in the church. Unity is so important for a church not to be divided. When a church is divided, the church becomes weaker. And false teachers know that. By the way, I think the enemy's been at work for a long time in our country the United States of America. Look at the division that has happened over the years. The enemy knows, as Jesus told us, that a house divided cannot stand. It cannot stand. A house that's divided will collapse. And that's what the enemy tries to do in a church. Division. Now, there are a lot of things that can cause division in a church. And unfortunately, my brothers and sisters in Christ, a lot of that cannot be the work of a false teacher, but it can be self-inflicted. It can be because churches are comprised of Christians, and Christians are not perfect people. Have you ever met a perfect Christian? If you have, stay away from them. They're lying. There's immaturity in local churches. People are at different stages of spiritual development. There's growth that's needed. There's nobody perfect in a church this side of heaven. And so there's a lot of things that can create division in a local church. Things like pride. Pride. In some churches, and actually in most churches, you're going to find some Christians who are arrogant. They're prideful. There there are some Christians that you meet and they think that they're better than everyone else. They're self-righteous. They feel like God has put them in the church to evaluate and judge other people. To criticize. They they pretend or they they have this attitude like they're, they're the spiritual elite They know how to pray. They know how to do the Bible. They know how to do church and all of this. And and, and that kind of arrogance, that self-righteous spiritual arrogance can create so many problems in a local church. Because people like that will tend to downplay other Christians and create a group of elites like themselves. And it just creates all kinds of problems. You want to know something? The longer you walk with the Lord, 
the more mature you become as a Christian, the more humble you should become. And loving and respectful of people. And able to work with people of all maturity levels. But pride can cause division. By the way, local churches can fall into that as well. There are some local churches that think they're the greatest church on planet earth. And like everyone should do things exactly like us and all of that. Listen, I'm very excited about our church. And I hope you're excited about our church if you're here. But we're not the only church, right? And we should never have that mindset like, we're the greatest church. No, we're one of many churches worldwide that God is using. We're one of many churches here in El Paso that God is using. And this pride, this... It can lead to competition and jealousy and all of that. It can create all kinds of division. There's another, just plain old selfishness. Selfishness in a church. And I mean just plain old selfishness. I've seen Christians fight over all kinds of things. There are Christians that, you know, I think we talked a little bit about it last week. And and church is all about bless me, bless me. What do I get? What do I get? Take, take, take. They never give out anything and there can be all kinds of issues with those people when church is to be mutually giving we give and we receive we bless and we receive blessings from one another but very selfish behavior can create a lot of division and in fact this is something that I've seen often Some Christians can become very selfish and self-absorbed in their ministry. Their calling. To the point where they're so caught up in their ministry that they think their ministry is the most important and everybody should do what they do. And if you don't do what they do, well, then you're not as mature as them. Let me give you an example. Somebody is gifted by the Holy Spirit with the supernatural gift of compassion and mercy. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And with that gift, you you really have a heart for people in need. And so a person like that will, will be passionate about feeding the hungry, taking care of the poor. And this person might become a part of a of a shelter or a food bank, or this person might be so gifted and so concerned, they start their own ministry where they're feeding the poor. And it's awesome, and they go for it. And they should, that's their calling. But they're wrong when they think their ministry is more important than everyone else's. When everyone else should be feeding the poor like I feed the poor. And if you don't, you're not serving God. I've seen it a lot. Should we all be concerned about the poor? Yes. Should we all be willing to pitch in? Yes. But some are called to that. Others are called to do, let's say, children's ministry. Others are called to do marriage ministry. Some are called to preach on the streets. Are you called to do that? Well, how would you feel like if somebody who's called to do that said, you should do that? Or you're not as spiritual. So you see how that can become a real sense of division. 
Don't ever let that happen. Listen, consider your ministry as one of many ministries. Listen, if God has called you to something, go for it. Be passionate. Be excited for it. But also be excited for all of the other ministries that God is doing. And trust me, if you just follow the Lord, God will surround you with people that have those similar giftings. And that will be a solid, he'll he'll send the right people. So selfishness, man, that can create a lot of problems. Here's another one that I've seen over the years, personality. This was a real problem in Corinth. Paul said to the church in Corinth, It's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? In The church at Corinth, there were people that were followers of human personalities. There were people that really thought Paul was a great leader. There were people that thought Cephas or Peter was a great leader. They were people that thought Apollos was a great leader. And all three of them were great leaders. But they got divided up among each other by allegiance to leader. Human leader. That can happen a lot. That can create a lot of uh, division in the church. I mean, uh, there there are people that love John MacArthur. I love John MacArthur. And there are people who love Chuck Smith. And there are people who love Chuck Swindoll. And there's all kinds of these awesome men and women of God that have, I mean, God has used... But, but don't ever get to the point where you say, I'm of John MacArthur. Oh, yeah, I'm of Chuck Smith. Oh, yeah, I'm of this person. Paul says it's ridiculous. And yet many Christians will divide up that. Listen, don't ever get too caught up with a human leader. I mean, there's lots of guys that I respect and look up to. But you know who I I respect way more than them? Jesus. Everyone else is under shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And so be careful that you don't get caught up in those little camps. And then there's also just plain old misunderstandings. Misunderstandings. Miscommunication. uh, Unmet expectations. All that can happen in a church. We need to understand that. We're not perfect. We're going to disappoint each other. I've seen scheduling issues. I've seen, you know, just all sorts of miscommunications and things get blown up and there can be division. Don't let the enemy turn something trivial into something to divide over. I may have told you this story before, but I mean, it was something that was so crazy. When we first moved here, we, and we were planning the church here in El Paso, we had a family that was uh, driving all the way from Las Cruces 
to help us plant here on the west side of El Paso. Now, I did not know this. I didn't know this. But they were mad at their Calvary Chapel in Las Cruces. They were upset with the pastor there. And so they find out about our church plant, and they're going to come help us. So I did not know this. This guy put an ad in the paper in Las Cruces, right in the church section. It said, Calvary Chapel, Sun City. The church that's alive is worth the drive. <laughs> I had no idea any... And he was sticking it to that Calvary Chapel in Las Cruces. So it gets worse. The pastor in Las Cruces gets the ad out. He circles it. He puts it in an envelope and he mails it to our P.O. box. Okay. It arrived in our P.O. box the day that I got on a plane and went to Israel and was gone for two weeks. Now, I had told one of the guys that was helping us plant, I'm going to give you one job. Here's the job. Go to the P.O. box in my absence. Get the mail, respond, and all of that. This guy forgot. So now, look what for two weeks, that letter was in that P.O. box. And what do you think that guy's thinking in Las Cruces? They're ignoring me. And it festered, and it got ugly, and there was misunderstanding. I got home from Israel. I went and got the P.O. box. I could barely get all the stuff that was in it. I finally get to this envelope. There's that. And I went, oh, my goodness. I called him. I said, I'm sorry. I had no idea that this was going on. I, I talked to the guy who did it. There was all these issues. I mean, it was just this big mess that I believe the Lord, by his grace, helped us to iron out. But do you see what can happen? Do you see what can happen? A local church is a lot like a family. Different personalities, different issues, little selfishness, little pride. Make sure that you're growing through that and you're learning how to pursue unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, there are these beautiful things that we're to know as Christians in practice. Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition." Or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's how we're supposed to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Prefer them. Jesus told the disciples in the upper room, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you understand that is the biggest part of Christian fellowship? Love. To love one another as Christ loved us. Unconditionally. Sacrificially. And we certainly need to grow in that. 
understand that, give each other slack. So we're not supposed to be divided, but you know, I mean, over 2,000 years, what's happened? There are lots of denominations, right? There have been lots of little divisions throughout history. You've got the Catholic, the Protestant, uh, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Evangelical, uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Southern Baptist, Calvary Chapel. All these different things. There have been divisions. By the way, there are no denominations in heaven. You know you're not going to find a Calvary Chapel light in heaven. Or a Baptist in heaven. Or a Lutheran in heaven. You know what you're going to find in heaven? A Christian. A person who is saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Those are members of the true church. But there has been a lot of division. And, and I know, so I think a lot of that can be seen as something that's, that's bad. But at the same time, I, I'm also excited because God has used this. God has used denominations. You know, I kind of see different denominations as different strokes for different folks. And God uses them in different ways. By the way, when I grew up, I grew up in the church, I saw every flavor of Christian denomination. I was in a Baptist church, a Presbyterian, a Methodist. I was in a house church at one point. I was in all sorts of churches. I landed at Calvary Chapel, and that's where I fell in love. That's where I identified. That's where I really thrived. You know, but I've also learned things from other denominations, most certainly. So it, at least take, take heart that God can use what's happened over church history. But then there is the division that's created by these guys, the false teachers. And that's, the stakes are bigger. And when a false teacher comes into a local church and tries to create division, there's no compromise. I mean, Paul is very, very clear. I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned. Avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. A false teacher comes in trying, it's usually around doctrine, which is very, very important. And belief system. You have somebody who comes in teaching doctrine that's not true. Man, you don't mess. You don't play around with that. Now, I see in this passage, a strategy. How a false teacher tries to do this. How they try to cause divisions. First, a false teacher will come in and they'll stir up discontent. Look at verse 16. These false teachers are grumblers. They are complainers. Grumblers. Grumble, 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 grumble. It could also be translated murmur. 
Isn't that one of the most annoying words ever invented? Murmur, 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 murmur. Even the Greek word that's used here, gongusmos. Doesn't that sound annoying? Probably in every language, grumbling sounds annoying because it's so annoying. Just a constant, steady grumbling. They come into a church and they grumble and they criticize and they complain about certain things. It says they're grumblers, they're complainers. Complainers is, it's the same thing, but it speaks of a person who is discontent, complaining in such a way that they're blaming others. It's the constant blaming. Grumble, 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 grumble. Complain, 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 complain. Blame, 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 blame. That's a false teacher at work. By the way, grumbling and complaining is not becoming of any Christian. Both of these words, by the way, are used in the Septuagint version of the Bible, Greek, Old Testament. And they're both used to speak of what the children of Israel did in the wilderness. You remember? I mean, God gets them out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. And within three days, they're thirsty and they're like, Moses, where's the water? Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt? Did you want to kill us in the wilderness? Complain, complain, grumble, grumble, grumble. And God blesses them with water. They go a little bit longer and now it's food. Where's the food? Why did we leave Egypt? To die out here in the wilderness? And then God does one of the coolest miracles, I think, in the whole Bible. Begins dropping manna every morning. This wonderful honey, sweet, bread-like substance. After a few weeks of that, they start going, why manna? We're so tired of manna. Moses, the food in Egypt was so much better. So God gives them quail. And at that point, the Lord said, I'm going to give you so much quail, it's going to come out of your nostrils. And they ended up getting sick off the quail. Because they were not content in what God was doing. And then you know the story. Eventually they get to the promised land. You're going to go into the promised land. Milk and honey. They send spies. Oh, it's going to be awesome. But there's giants. And there's fortified cities. Complain. Complain. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Christian, we should not be like that. We should be the most content people on earth. Do not be that chronic complainer. We have it so good in knowing the Lord. Even when we go through trials and difficulties, he's there with us. He's taking care of us. Now, false teachers, they use that as a strategy. They go in and they find things in the church that they don't like or they they complain. Oh, they don't do that ministry very well. Or they don't understand that theology very well. And they will create pockets of grumblers. People who question and start complaining. And then what do they do? Well, they impress. 
Verse 16, they're grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words. That is incredibly exaggerated in the Greek language. This speaks of of the biggest heads, the haughtiest boasters you can possibly imagine, speaking big, impressive, swelling words. And the idea is they, they, they complain, they create pockets of complainers, and then they say, boy, if I were in charge... If I were in charge, if they let me run that ministry, if they let me do that Bible study, they don't understand. And they seek to impress and pull aside. So create complainers, then say, hey, you should hear what I have to say. And then they mock. Beloved, remember, verse 17, the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would come walking according to their own ungodly lust. Now, mock means to ridicule, to make fun of, to poke at, to scoff, to make things lighter. So they come in, they create complainers, they mention how impressive they are and they scoff maybe they mock christian leaders or whatever teaching and so they're doing this work by the way mockers this word mock and scoff it shows up in connection with last days here it says there would be mockers in the last time Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. I, I just mention that because a lot of false teachers mock the idea of Jesus coming again. They mock the whole last day judgment scenario of the Bible. Now, you believe that? (laughs) And that has been a a very strategic uh, thing that false teachers have done forever. Noah was scoffed in the Bible. He was scoffed, mocked, when he was building his boat. Ah, don't have to worry about judgment. Well, judgment came, right? Jeremiah, the prophet, was a true prophet. And he was telling all the people in Judah, man, you need to get right with God. The Babylon, Babylon's coming. They're going to come get you. Believe me, you've got to repent. But we find out in Jeremiah that there were a whole bunch of false prophets that said, peace, peace, all is good. Don't worry, God's not going to judge. And what happened? Babylon came. They were taken and captive. And the Bible is very clear. There is coming a day when Jesus is coming again. And people can scoff at all they want. Oh, yeah, we've heard that forever. Everything goes on as it has since creation. No, Jesus is coming again. But these false teachers will come into a church. They'll stir up discontent, impress, mock, and then 
I love it. Flatter. Verse 16. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Now, you know what it means to flatter, right? Butter someone up. Tell something what makes them, oh, you're so smart. You're just, you just got it all together. And it says they flatter to take advantage. It's manipulation. You ever been flattered? And you know you're being manipulated? Oh, man, you have such a great truck. Your truck is so awesome. I really like your truck. I'm moving next weekend. <laughs> right? A lot of times false teachers will do that. So you put this all together. They come into a church. They create grumblers. They present themselves as, look at me. They mock everyone else. And then they flatter. You're too smart to stay there. Come with us. Be a part of our group. And it works. Churches divide. False teachers create camps. It's a very common strategy. And it's very successful. In fact, there's an incredible uh, story in the Old Testament that shows that. You might Remember King David? Uh, King David had a very difficult family life. His son, Absalom, literally tried to betray him. You remember that story? Tried to take the kingdom away from his dad. And look at the strategy that Absalom employed. Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he'd say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. You've come all this way, you have a case, and it's so legit. I totally get it. King doesn't have time for you. The deputies there are off. But I'm here. I'm available. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. It's the same strategy. Oh, you got a complaint. Yeah, they're not going to help you. I can help you. Oh, and let me flatter you. Let me take your hand and kiss you. Stealing the hearts away. Same thing will happen and, and can happen in a church. And beware of it. And I'll tell you right now, it's happened here. That same strategy. There's been families that have come to our church trying to... to uh, change a doctrine in the thinking of our church. And they were found out on a mission trip while they were with a group of people from our church and they tried to sow that seed of, 
of uh, heresy right there. They come back from the mission trip. We found out about it. It's happened in prayer meetings at this church. Someone comes into a prayer meeting and, oh, you know, we, we really need to pray for this ministry. That leader. <laughs> that theology that they're, oh, oh. grumble, grumble, grumble. We've had it happen. And we've had to, to talk to them. We've, we've seen it in Bible studies. You know what's so funny about false teachers? Well, it's not really funny. I mean, they never have enough guts to plant their own church. If you think they would just, I mean, if they want a following so much, go plant your church. No, instead they target churches that have been planted by others. And try to take and turn and twist. Don't let that happen. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. My brother and sister in Christ, pursue unity. Learn to love your brothers and sisters. Learn to prefer others. Learn to forgive. Learn to work with. Humble yourself. Give yourself away. Don't be a part of the problems. And if you are... And, and we all get in, in little things in churches. But, but go back and, and, and make it right. Pursue unity at all costs. And when this happens, no compromise. I remind you again of what Paul said in Romans 16. I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn. Avoid them. Those are who such do, they do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, notice, but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Once again, all of that strategy rolled up into that. So let's be wise, amen? Let's be wise. The church is a beautiful thing. And to be a part of the church is a beautiful thing. But you need to know there's an enemy who wants to destroy it. There's an enemy who wants to keep you out of it. Don't let that happen. And then when you enter the church, please remember, it's not perfect. It's not perfect because we're all in different stages. And there is no perfect church. This side of heaven. One day we'll all be perfect. But right now we still have to learn how to deal with one another. So don't expect the church to be this perfect thing. But learn how to grow. And become a part of that. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes.
Lord, you have so many beautiful things in store for your people. And the enemy wants to rip all that away. Protect us. Lord, I pray that we would increase in discernment and wisdom. I pray that we would increase in love and service and humility. I pray that as we walk with you week by week, year by year, we'd become more gentle, more humble, more serving, more like you. You're our role model. Guard us from the manipulation. your church. Lord, I pray your protection upon this local church and all the local churches in this area and your churches spread out all across the world. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, have you joined the church? Are you a member of the church? Have you become a member of the family of God? There's only one way to do that. It's not signing your name on the dotted line. It's not joining a church membership roster or anything like that. It's, as I said, true Christians are those who have given their lives to Jesus Christ, who have placed their faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for their sins and rose again. Have you done that? Tonight, you can do it. Become a part of God's family. You admit before the Lord that you need him, that you're a sinner, that you need to be forgiven. You acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God who came and died on the cross for your sins and rose again. And you put your faith and trust in him. And he'll save you and change you and transform you. If you haven't done that, I want you to pray that right now. Ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Say, Lord, I, I, I bow before you. I surrender my life. I admit I need you. Come into my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Wash all my sins away. I receive you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Walk with me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.